Hello, Kardak Radio. Here we are live on the Kardak Radio Facebook page, and we are also live on Kardak Radio. Now, Kardak Radio, remember, it's an app you can put on your Android or your Apple phone. Just go on to your Play Store or your App Store, and you can look up Kardec, K-A-R-D-E-C. You bring up uh, this Spirits book, the, the work we all started from. Alan Kardec, The Spirits Book. And again, it's K-A-R-D-E-C, Kardec Radio. And you can put that on your phone. And you can listen to Spiritist programs 24 hours a day. No commercials, no nothing. It's all free. So why are we here? We are here on Sunday evening at 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Pacific, all time zones in between and time zones around the world. We are at the same time every Sunday to bring you information from Spiritism, all about Spiritism, and a lot of it comes, it was all codified originally by Alan Kardec, who was called the Great Codifier, and in it, he talked to high spirits, the spirit of truth, all the spirits that were contributed to his book and the, the Gospel According to Spiritism and the other books he has, which are all available, by the way, in PDF, that's how I found them. You can, oh, hello, soul, hello, how are you doing? You can, um, so he and he asked spirits a question of 1,019 questions. He didn't put the answers in the book unless more than one or two mediums all agreed on the same answers by talking to the spirits. And one medium didn't know the other medium was talk, was asking the same question. So these are books from uh, answers from many mediums. And I will be in our, our program today. We're going to be talking about the trials of the rich, the poor, and the middle class. And I'll be quoting a lot from the Spirits book because they have a lot to say about this. And it's very interesting. So again, you go to my site, nwspiritism.com. You can click on his pictures, Alan Kardec's picture right there. And it will take you to the EDICEI bookstore. You can buy the Spirits book, Alan Kardec's books, Chico Xavier's books, uh, Yvonne Pierre, other books by Spiritist authors on that site. You can also, of course, find all these on Kardec Radio. I mean, I'm sorry, not Kardec Radio, Amazon.com. I think a lot of them have Kindle editions, of course, and my books too. You can find those on my site and order them through Amazon.com, either Kindle or uh, paperback. And I have my newest book, seven, my newest audio book on from the uh, seven tenets of spiritism i have that i have that in now an audiobook so if anyone would like to look at my oh took the wrong one up sorry if anyone would like to to read an audiobook i've already sold quite a few of them and i've had some good reviews so i think this might be interesting to people and it's about three hours long Yes, Netflix, I would like to say this, Netflix will have his bio soon from Liana. And in fact, I saw the movie here in Rio de Janeiro, and it was a very good movie. And um, I think it's excellent that it's going to be on Netflix. We can, as soon as, you know, I will, I think it's coming in August. I forgot the dates, but I would recommend anyone who has Netflix to go see that movie. But again, The Seven Tenets of Spiritism is on uh, audiobooks now, so you can hear me narrate the seven tenets of spiritism. Now, let's get into what I was the topic of today, and that is the trials of the rich, the poor, and the middle class. So, 
Let's talk about the trials of the rich. Now, you may not believe this, but the rich have the most difficult trials. If our growth as a spirit depends on our making the correct choices, then for the wealthy, there is a magnitude more decisions that must be made. For with wealth comes many options, and the point becomes clear in the answer to the question in the Spirit's book about the gauntlet of temptations that we must experience. And it's in question 261, and I'll read this to you. And here's the question. This is all questions created by Alan Kardec. Is it necessary for the Spirit in the course of the trials to which he has to submit in order to arrive at perfection to undergo every sort of temptation? Must he encounter all the circumstances that can incite in him pride, jealousy, avarice, sensuality, etc.? And here's the answer. Certainly not, since there are, as you know, many spirits who take from the beginning a road which spares them the necessity of undergoing many of those trials. Of course, that wasn't me. I can tell you that for sure. I'll carry on with the answer. But he who suffers himself to be drawn into the wrong road exposes himself to all the dangers of that road. A spirit, for instance, may ask for riches, and his demand may be granted. And in that case, he will become, according to his character, avarice or prodigal, selfish or generous, and will make a noble use of his wealth, or wasted on vanity or sensuality. But this does not imply that he will be compelled to run the gauntlet of all the evil tendencies that may be fostered by the possession of riches. So, you notice that when the temptations are mentioned, the spirits use the life of riches as an example of multiple enticements. For with wealth comes a horde of people, all ready to give you what you want. No questions asked. Opportunities arise for corruption because the payoff is significant, significant for those who are attempting to gain leverage. And there is more discuss, discussion about wealth as a trial in Alan Kardec's book, The Gospel According to Spiritism. And this is what they say in that book, which is, an, I recommend that book to everybody. This is what it says. Undoubtedly, wealth is a very slippery trial, more dangerous than poverty because of its allure, the temptation it creates, and the fascination it exerts. It is the supreme arouser of pride, selfishness, and lust. It is the strongest tie that keeps humans bound to the earth and diverts their thoughts from heaven. It produces such giddiness that we often see those who go from poverty to wealth to soon forget their former condition those who shared with them in it, and those who helped them in it, and they become insensitive, selfish, and vain. However, even though wealth, wealth makes a journey difficult, it does not follow that it makes it impossible or that it cannot become a means of salvation in the hands of those who know how to use it, just as certain poisons can restore health if used purpose, purposefully and carefully. So, supreme arouser and pride, selfishness, and lust. So that's that's the that's really the money quote from from what was talked about in the gospel according to Spiritism, and it's such a base truth, so we all know about it. Uh, when I when I was uh, consulting for uh, uh, internet firms in in one of the big booms, this is, was the the end of the '90s before the, the year 2000, one of the big internet booms. And, you know, people, I, you know, I, I don't think I'm exaggerating. They would sell their own mother to get that extra 10 cents or dollar in the stock price because they would be a millionaire. They, they would do anything for money. In fact, that was really one of the turning points in my life. 
is if I was just so turned off by just the pursuit of wealth by any any manner possible. If they could just make that million, they you know that would set them for life. Of course, now a million isn't what it used to be, but it's you know it's still a lot of money, more money than I have, and so. I, I saw it. I saw it in the people. They did and they did dishonorable things in order to get money. That's when I decided I did, never wanted to be in a position, in a high executive position. I went down back into, you know, in my, uh, you know, smaller project management type positions. Oh, hello, Chal Thao. I, I don't know if I'm uh, pronouncing that right. Hello to you. So I saw it, right? And... It, I, you know, it was right before me. It was amazing that what money can do for people. So, and of course, when the rich is poor in, you always want more. And I've quoted this before, but there's a great study out. And this firm did a study at all different levels of wealth from people who had, you know, 20,000, 50,000 in the bank to millions, tens of millions. And the, it, the, the consistent theme is that everybody would feel comfortable if they had 25% more. So if you had 100,000, you wanted 125,000. If you had 10 million, you wanted 12.5 million. You just wanted that 25% more, and it's in, ingrained in this, you know, kind of like as from those, it's from those primitive things where you had to hoard, because if you didn't hoard, you could, you know, you could starve to death. And that's where, and that's one of the things we need to do as we uh, go through life on earth. We need to take away those primitive emotions, those primitive impulses, primitive instincts, and replace them with, you know, with the knowledge that we're on earth. We have, we have predestination. The spirit world will take care of us as long as we try our best and do our best. We should be happy with what we have. I tell you, since I found spiritism, I don't worry about that anymore. I mean, I worry about little things and making sure I have enough, but I don't lust after, you know, more wealth like I used to. Yes. Soul says, money changes people as I see from my family. So, that's right. So, yes, many people have seen that. So, as I said, you want more. And then those who honestly gain, they feel satisfaction. Why? Those who profit by deceit, they feel like a slight moral twitch right but it is quickly suppressed they rationalize as i've said so many times you need to learn not to rationalize away as i have done in the past what your conscience tells you but that's what we all do right and those in large financial institutions who participate in the sellings of goods packaged for the express purpose of unloading dubious monetary instruments on unsuspecting and trusting people know well these emotions and, you know, I, I can remember reading about in Wall Street. In fact, I was around during the times that they were they were selling, you know, during the whole mortgage uh, crisis. That's where the, the bank I went, I was working for went completely broke. Um, they were they were consolidating these worthless and very dangerous mortgages for people who would pay no no money down, had no income, but were just betting that the house would go up forever. And they were selling it to other people. And, I, you know, I saw quotes from, you know, people on Wall Street saying they just felt dirty after, after they if they were finished from a, a day's work of selling these things. And um, many people sounded the alarm bell, but, of course, no one listened to them until it all collapsed during, I think it was the 2004 um, or 2006, the Great Recession. So, 
it's very important that, uh, of course, a lot of people work for these things, but you just have to get out of that. So what I'm trying to say, if you feel at all ashamed at your actions and your pursuit of wealth, then that is your conscience talking to you. And you certainly have free will to ignore the advice, right? But just be aware that if you doubt your actions for a reason, because it is morally wrong and you shall later in life or in the next life pay a price for that, right? Karma is real. Karma works. When we do something wrong, we usually need to either rectify it. Hopefully we do it quickly in our current life, but it will have to be rectified in a, a next life. So, and that is why there's so it's so difficult to be rich, right? Because you have so many options and opportunities to, to cut corners, to be mean to people because they always want to kiss you know what uh, later on for anything you do. It's uh, very difficult. Now, so what do you do with your wealth? So now that you're, if you're wealthy and you're aware of the downsides, what are you supposed to do with it? And so in the gospel, according to spiritism, they tell you exactly what you should do with it. And let me, and let me show you that book. I want to, because I think it's just such a great, wonderful book. There you go. The gospel, according to spiritism. So, so this is what, this is what the gospel according to spiritism says you should do. So, the truth of the matter is that humans have the mission of laboring for the material improvement of the planet. They must reclaim it, cleanse it, and make it suitable to someday receive the entire population that its range can bear. In order to feed this ever-increasing population, production must be increased. If one country's production is insufficient, it will have to be sought elsewhere. For this very reason, relations between nations become a necessity. In order to facilitate such relations, it is necessary to destroy physical barriers that separate nations and render communication more rapid. For such endeavors, which are the work of centuries, humans have had to extract material from the bowels of the earth. They have sought in science the means to execute their endeavors more safely and rapidly. However, to accomplish them, resources are needed. Necessity drove humans to create wealth, just as it drove them to discover science. The activity required by these endeavors has increased and developed their intelligence. And this intelligence, which they have concentrated primarily on satisfying their material needs, will help them later on to understand the great moral truth. Since wealth is the primary means of executing these tasks, without it, there would be no more great endeavors, no more activity, no stimulus, and no research. It is with good cause and good reason, therefore, that wealth is considered an element of progress. So what are they saying? So the advice in that, in that passage is, is completely in line with what any prudent investor would consider. Money invested in enterprises which provide a benefit to society will bring the best surety of outcome. There are other hints in the paragraph above. First, given that the Gospel According to Spiritism was published in 1868, the statement that we must cleanse the earth sounds perfectly reasonable to our ears, right? But at the time when the Industrial Revolution was just beginning and environmentalism was unheard of, right? What was written is very relevant today. And this is the good illustration of the timeless aspects of Allan Kardec's books. One could read the vast majority of Allan Kardec's five books and not determine the time period in which they were written. Although 
I have read one section about dueling, right? And we don't have that anymore. But other than that, it would be hard to see that. So secondly, the statement in that what I read is to render communication more rapid has been partially accomplished first by the telegraph and telephone for more than 100 years. But only within the last 20 years has the revolution truly permeated throughout the masses of all countries and all classes. All has been accomplished via the aggregation of wealth, via our capitalistic system, and its associated rewards for risking capital. Therefore, capitalism is an evil. While there may be scoundrels using it for their unfair gain, the free transfer and accumulation of assets to fund worthy projects are vital to the Earth's future. Leaving all the decisions in the hands of a few government functionaries in the failed communist and socialist states has been proven to be a less efficient method of advancement. And if I said in another talk, what type of government the spirit world wants us to have, it is basically they would like us to have capitalism where new endeavors and new businesses are rewarded, but we all, but the people in charge of those have the moral fiber and believe in reincarnation, believe in karma, believe in, you know, the spirit world. So they act honorably, charitably and fraternity and fraternity with fraternity to all their employees that would be what the spirit world really wants it's not to give a minimum you know salary for everybody and let them do nothing no we're on this we're on this planet actually uh for you know it's the amazement of many people we're actually on this planet not to have fun all the time but we're actually here to work and to learn and to study and try and increase our spirituality right we're so and most of these people with inventions it's actually probably I should say all come here on some sort of task from the spirit world you know to bring uh let's say the cell phone right so if you've read uh, and um uh, andre luis's the first book no solar they're talking about portable communication devices well that's the cell phone and, and you know chico xavier said that the spirit world's you know 50 to 100 years ahead and of course the no solar which is a great book. Again, I recommend that one. That's the first in the series by Andre Luis. You know, and that was, I think, printed in 1938 or 39. Published that time, and a lot of that stuff took, you know, beforehand. So we didn't have cell phones, what, between the, the late 80s, early, you know, 90s, right? And, and they had very, you know, heavy, big ones. It wasn't until Apple came along with the iPhone that it really started taking off, so... It shows you those things are introduced in the spirit world. Most inventions are introduced in the spirit world first. People come to earth. They're inspired, influenced by what they learned before. And then it's created here on our physical planet. Okay. So let's talk about your wealth and you. Because I want to make sure that as we talk about wealth, that where I'm not saying to sell everything and go live in a monastery. Okay. So... Now you know that the market or other jobs building enterprises are really worthy places places to invest. But what about your your reward? So after all, you worked hard and enjoy should enjoy some of the perks. Yes, you should. And I have not seen anything written where you shouldn't enjoy that large house, that new car, or the latest fashions if you can afford them. Hence, utilizing your wealth for your own comfort is a just reward for hard work and shepherding your assets for society's gain 
The question is, how do you use them, right? How do you use your assets? Did you buy that car to show your advantage over a friend? Are you afraid that if you don't own at least three cars, others will think you're poor? Do you drive around feeling superior to everyone else? All good activities to get out of the habit of doing. The difficult part of being wealthy is maintaining your humility and respect for others. Now, I had my uncle, my uncle Ken, he was very rich, and you would never know he was rich. He drove around in an old old Chevy pickup truck, right? He had a, a ranch. It was in Orange County at the time. And he had, you know, that straw hat, right? Kind of cowboy hat was always, you know, sweat stains all around it. And he would go to his cattle ranch and talk to the people there. And he, and then he would do other things. But he had oil on his land, right? And he had, and this is back in the time when, the government would only um, insure like $20,000 or something if they lost it. So he had $20,000 in every bank up and down California. So he was humble. He was the nicest person. He, you know, he, he sold meat to my family cheap. He'd come to the dinner table um, and, you know, talk about the cows. And of course, my mother never liked it because he was talking about how he, you know, how he had helped you know, unplug a certain cow was constipated, those type of things. <laughs> so, but he was a great guy. I loved him. And, um, but he, you know, he is the one who used his, his wealth. He, he was honorable to everybody. He was a good friend. He helped those in need, etc. Hiding, hiding riches can be useful. Yeah. I mean, sometimes you need to keep it. Yeah. So everyone needs to keep, that's a good question. Uh, good question, Matthew. It's a good that, yes, you do need to keep some of your money for emergencies, right? So these things, so the main things I'm trying to say is, is don't use them to cheat people. Don't, don't uh, lord over people. Don't treat people, you know, without respect because you're richer. I mean, in, in our culture, if you have, and we've all seen this, if you're, if you're rich, automatically you're smarter than other people, Right. If you made a million, two, ten million, a billion, you are the smartest person in the room. Well, actually, that's not true. Uh, sometimes it could be, you know, like you know, Elon Musk is a brilliant person. Um, but just because you're wealthy, it usually means that you're driven. The the executives that I've seen who become rich through corporations. They work very, very hard, right? They are working more than eight hours a day. They, they're working, you know, 16, 20 hours a day. And that's their whole, that's their whole uh, raison d'etre. That's their whole reason for living is to, is to exercise their power and, and gather wealth. And that's, you know, that's what they like to do. Most of them uh, have sacrificed their family uh, because of that. Uh, I think that's a mistake, but that um, is true. Nope, all the politicians you see disprove that. <laughs> that's what I'm, that's a good comment. Okay, so the transmission of wealth. The question many ask, right, is since wealth is given, let's say, to me or you as a trial, do you have a right to pass it on? And the answer is yes, and the reasons are covered in the gospel according to the spiritism this is this is one of they said does there's the principle according to which humans are only trustees of the wealth that god has allowed them to enjoy during their lives take away the right to transfer it to their descendants so that was a question in the 
Gospel According to Spiritism. And here is the answer. After their death, people can rightly transfer what they have enjoyed during their past lives, because the effect of such right is always dependent on the will of God, who can prevent their descendants from enjoying it whatever, whenever he wants. That is why we see apparently solidly established fortunes crumble. The will of the persons to keep their wealth in the hands of their descendants is therefore powerless, although this fact does not take away the right to transfer the loan they have received, since God will take it from their descendant if he deems it appropriate. And that is from St. Louis uh, in Paris in 1868. He sent that message. So for those of you who are rich, consider yourselves challenged, right? You've been given a complex trial, a trial that can be successfully completed, but will take an extraordinary sense of patience and noblesse oblige. Noblesse oblige isn't a word you see often anymore, and it means the inferred responsibility of a privileged people to act with generosity and nobility towards those less privileged. But it is an attitude that is often lacking in today's nouveau rich who believe them often believe that wealth with wealth comes an automatic sense of superiority and entitlement try to fight this inclination and ground yourself in the humility found in examples of among others socrates confucius buddha and jesus good example of that there was a a story in uh, one of the books by g bao owen and it was about a squire and his wife and of course, uh, in old England, a squire had considerable power and responsibilities. His wife had died first, and she went to you know one of the nicer levels of, of heaven. I'm not sure what level, but pretty high level. And his she, her husband, came later, and they were both went to a high, higher level of heaven together. And she had already kind of a much nicer, you know, house for him there, and. Uh, it was made, you know, there was other people living there that she was helping other people in the spirit world. And it's said in the book that th they were given this reward because when he was the squire and she was the squire's wife, they treated everyone nicely. Those above them, those below them, they took the responsibility. They didn't rob from people. They tried to help people. It was, it was you know, the way it should be that when you are in positions of power, the way you should handle your authority. Unlike what I've been told in my past lives, when I've been in a, in a position of authority, I took advantage and I went after treasure instead of helping people. So this was an example of these people who actually did a great job and you know and deserve the type of life they led and were given that um, probably to help that whole community of which you know that person and his you know those that couple was in charge of. So, let's talk about trials of the poor. So, if you're one of those hardworking, honest, and humble persons who watches carefully what they spend and deals with the world as you'd want them to deal with you, bless you, many blessings, for you are proceeding through life as you had intended. Your plan is working. In addition, if you are able to instill in your family a notion of God and the spiritual duty of all, then you are learning the lessons that you desired. The trials of the poor are usually one of unfulfilled dreams and ambitions, coupled with constant self-denial of material goods they are craving. The stories of real people described in spiritual literature are full of the theme of a rich or powerful figure 
returning in the next life as a humble worker or worse, a homeless beggar. Emmanuel, the spirit guide of Francisco C. Xavier, Chico Xavier, himself was at one time a powerful Roman senator who actually meets Jesus and rejected his offer to join his revolution of peace. In Emmanuel's next life, he comes back as a slave who dies in the circus as a Christian devoured by lions. Such are the trials of the poor. Glamour is noticeably lacking and the daily grind is on display. Day after day of making to end meet is a repetitive message taught, most probably interspersed with small tragedies and disappointments, and hopefully opportunities to succeed and celebrate. Those who know to value the life they are given discover ways for them and their families to achieve happiness in their life by finding the value in the little things, right, such as family time together, playing with the children, spiritual discussions, and other simple pleasures. The lesson is one of humbleness and understanding of those less fortunate, coupled with a knowledge of the effort it takes to pull yourself up without the stepladder of a more prosperous upbringing. The Spirit Books talks about the choice of trials and the choices we must make during our sojourns on earth. Hello, Sylvia. So on question 259, if the Spirit has a choice of the kind of trials which he will undergo, does it follow that all the tribulations we experience in earthly life have been foreseen and chosen by us? And here's the answer. It would not be correct to say that such has been the case with all of them. You cannot be said to have chosen foreseen all the things which happen to you in this life and all their details. You have chosen the kind of trial to which you are subjected. The details of this trial are a consequence of the general, general situation which you have chosen and are often the result of your own actions. If, for instance, a spirit has been chosen to be born among malefactors, he knew what kind of temptations he was exposing himself, but not each one of the actions which he would accomplish. Those actions are the effect of his volition, of his free will. A spirit knows that in choosing such and such a road, he will have such and such a kind of struggle to undergo. He knows, therefore, the nature of the vicissitudes which he will encounter but he does not know whether these will present themselves under one form or another. The details of events spring from circumstances and the force of things. It is only by the leading events of his new life, those which will exercise the determining effect on his destiny that are foreseen by him. If you enter upon a road full of ruts, you know that you must walk very rarely, because you run the risk of stumbling. But if you do not know the exact place where you will stumble, and it may be that if you are sufficiently on your guard, you will not stumble at all. If, when you are passing along the street, a tile falls on your head, you must not suppose that it was written, as the common saying is. Hence, what, what, what are they telling us? That not all events are predetermined, depending on the path we chose and the decision we make. The road may be smoother or rougher. But although, hearing this, when they say it, 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 the details will come from the circumstances or the force of things, I believe a lot of that are details that are dynamically then uh, planned or manipulated by the spirit world into trying to achieve what you would have. So they have the, the spirits on the ground, so to say, have the responsibility and the authority to help guide you in a certain, in a certain manner in order for that trial to take effect. Because what we've been told otherwise is many things are predetermined. Uh, and they it may mean that by predetermined that the general layout, but I think a lot of the details then are then imposed upon us by spirits manipulating uh, effects around us. 
I could be wrong in that. And what the percentage of that, I don't know. Some spirits say, uh, spirits just say everything. I, I think there are still random events that will, that will happen. So, with the trials of the poor, the effects of events may be harder to glide over, right? Because the lack of money tends to make life more difficult and responses more limited. So, let's talk about the trials of the underclass. There are also trials where a person is not only born into poverty, but also into the underclass, where he or she will, ex will shall be expected to be immersed in criminal enterprises. Truly, this would be an exceptionally challenging trial, demanding great character resist the learned pressures of the immediate family. In fact, I know this one woman I was working for many, many years ago, and she was telling me she was born in, in such a, uh, such a uh, family that all of them, all they did was talk about how to steal, how to you know take advantage of people and she finally got out married some guy who was completely different and never looked back and <laughs> didn't talk to her family poor woman because she knew they were you know her words were irredeemable of course not such everyone is redeemable but i think for her that was important for her to to get away from that family this must have been a trial she wanted to it must have been a trial she wanted to understand did did she have enough strength to either leave that family or maybe she was there to try to show them an example of what they could be, but they didn't want to be. I'm not sure. So, but let's see what the spirit books say. Question 260. How can a spirit choose to be born among those who are leading a bad life? And we see that all the time, right? Here's the answer. It is necessary for him to be sent into the conditions which will furnish the elements of the trial he has demanded. To this end, there must be a correspondence between the imperfection of which he desires to free himself and the social surroundings into which he was born. For example, if he has to struggle against the instinct of, of being a criminal, it is necessary for him to be thrown among criminals, right? So, I mean, I, I believe it would be hard to come up with a harder task than this. And again, I think this shows why spiritism explains why reincarnation is so hard if you're given that task to be born amongst thieves and murderers or you know whatever you know mafia families how hard would that be to live a good life right it would it would and then to do something and maybe even if he had regrets later but then to be told that since you did that one horrible thing you would live eternity into hell I don't, you know, I don't see, and you know, and spiritism says God is love. God is there for us to redeem ourselves and to become better. And for instance, you know, I'm sure that many have been successful. Like for instance, one reads a report about, you know, Roma, also called gypsies, have successfully sought an education and escaped the stereotypical gypsy life of petty theft and con games. And it's a testament to the character of those spirits who ask and triumph in such dire circumstances. So what other other, you know, hard trials of the poor? Another hard, hard trial is a trial of envy, right? How many of us not had money, even, you know, whatever class you are, you have envious. But when you have only have only what you require to survive the urge to be jealous of others with visible signs of prosperity is immense people connect possessions with happiness and believe like a child believes that only if they could get that one object they would feel better and we've all been there yes 
The pleasure may last for a bit, but in the long run, you are left with yourself. It is your attitude that enables one to feel pleasure in life's little moments, not objects. Besides, don't be fooled by the seemingly happy facade of the better off, as, it are, as is articulated in the Gospel according to Spiritism. The spirit Lacordaire writes in 1863 about the fad, sad thoughts of a poor young woman. This is what he said. You would love to adorn your head with flowers and mingle with the wealthy of this earth. You say to yourself that, like these women who pass you by, nonchalant and laughing, you too could be rich. Oh, be still, child. If you knew how many tears and nameless sorrows are hidden beneath those embroidered dresses, how many sobs are muffled under the noise of that joyous orchestra, you would prefer your humble solitude and your poverty. And so so true. I've, I've met you know many wealthy people, and... and and I think a lot of the wealthy people have too much time on their hands and they, they sit there and they feel guilty and they don't know what to do. And then, of course, then they do really, you know, not very intelligent things. And they are, they go towards very strange, you know, ideologies or whatever. So therefore, it's really important to not be envious, right? And in modern poverty in the Western world brings us another sort of envy. Whereas in Europe and America, the poor class is provided with the basics required for daily life. In many instances, no other demand for their part is made, right? They have TVs, they have cell phones, stereos, everything. So hence, these suffering souls are left idle, right? Watching our media being propaganda to them, convincing them they are missing out on the latest gadgets, thereby causing immense jealousy among the poor and idle class. And this type of social dysfunction causes riots. Like there was the one, I think, about three or four years ago in London where the youth looted not grocery stores to gain food for their families, but shoe stores and others like them that contained the latest fashion so they too could wear what is popular. This says so much about a modern society when not the grocery stores or the pharmacies, right, in order to get medicines for their family, but the shoe stores and the fashion stores. So... If you're poor, the spiritual on earth to learn the dignity of a day of hard work is being done as a service by society, by this our, you know, the welfare state, right? Everyone should be helped through bad times, but they should not have to live a life of doing nothing but sit around and desire for what they see on TV. The spirit world doesn't encourage idleness, far from it. Dedication and the pursuit of knowledge are the questions they want us to absorb. On one occasion, when Francisco C. Xavier, the most was the most famous medium and spiritist in Brazil, was asked if he wanted to tell people of Brazil anything, any message he wanted to say, he said, in essence, work hard and don't complain. You know, that's, you know, if you want to look at spiritism, it's follow the golden rule. But I think the next thing you might want to say is this, you know, simple five word sentence. Work hard and don't complain, right? Follow the golden rule. Work hard and don't complain. That, that sums up. Uh, that's why it's hard to be a spiritist because we have to tell ourselves these truths. So, now let's talk about trials of the middle class. Well, I mean, I think, as you know, as as I want to say, that's, that's me. I, I've been middle class. And it's probably a lot of people, uh, the majority of people who I listen to this program are, are middle class. And the spirit world was, the middle class is important. The spirit world promoted the rise and spread of West, Western civilization for many reasons. But one of them was the creation of the middle class.
Those warriors who willingly show up to work every day, fulfill their task, attempting to live a decent life, not complaining and contributing their all, treating each other honestly and participating in the civil and spiritual lives of their community, is a significant example presented to us by the spirit world. Why is this important? Because, really, this is the future awaiting us. When humanity is a collection of more good than evil, social divisions will gradually fade. Leaders will be in position for merit only, and nations will be at peace. We shall all be middle class. Middle class class life is a reflection of life in the heavenly cities. It may be at times a poor reflection, but at its core, a society that goes about its business, tackling problems, serving those who require it, growing towards scientific philosophy and religious advancements is the goal all eternal values that spirits who wish to rise to perfection must strive for. Perfected spirits are elements that exist to help others become perfected, Therefore, we must transform ourselves into vehicles for dedicated service. No, not a life of dreary paper pushing, but an exciting career of discovery and the pursuit of knowledge. We're at the day's end, we feel we have made a difference. Not just a dollar, like oh, many of us have felt and I have felt here on the physical earth. Now, because you have been born in middle class, still doesn't, of course, protect you from trials you must suffer to repair any damages from your past lives. Hence, you may experience disease, divorce, poverty due to unforeseen circumstances. All of the vicissitudes of life that, that life can deliver to you and in which you are expected to learn the lessons presented to you. So, what are some of those lessons of the middle class? Let's, let's, let's talk about them. So, it's one is living for work not work for a living. So what are the advantages and disadvantages of being middle class? The disadvantages are, to many of us in this present position, numerous, and most of them having to do with the need to live hand to mouth. Now, now, of course, not in the same manner of those poor people who utilize their way, the weekly paycheck from a loan establishment that robs them with enormous interest rates, but in the sense that we are not able to stop working. Yes, we could survive on our assets for a while between jobs, but we would be forced to look for gainful employment during the time of idleness, which have happened to me quite a few times, right? Whenever I lost one job, I could say, oh, I'm just, I can just rest for a while. No, I started looking for another job right away because whatever small assets I had would be rapidly diminished because, you know, you're here with a mortgage. You've got, you know, who knows what other monthly, uh, you know, things, bills you have to pay. No, you got to keep working. So, and of course, looking for a job, which as any unemployed person knows, is not idleness, but a daily struggle to procure new work, where we must strive hard to motivate ourselves to keep the search and maintain a good attitude in the face of repetitive and sometimes downright ignorant questions from prospective employers. We find ourselves on the outside looking in and longing to be part of the group that securely enables us to work and regain self-pride. A lot of middle classes we define ourselves by the work. And for, so for, you know, this is really the crux of the middle class, right? We measure our stature by what we do, not by who we are. The two are intertwined in our minds and the minds of others. We are constantly told that we should focus on us, the person, not what we accomplish or not accomplish, but on our character and our self-worth. And that's true. We do need to be introspective and correctly gauge who we are and what we need to improve upon. Unfortunately, this isn't enough for the spirit world. Therefore, the disadvantage of having to work for a living is actually an advantage. 
Would you train combat soldiers for battle by having them sit around on a couch watching TV? How would they perform when first thrust into battle? Most likely retreat as humanly possible, for they'd never known the discipline required to survive and triumph under fire. How well will you be pre prepared for life in the spirit world? Do you think they should sit around all day contemplating beauty? No. The higher the level of spirit, those above earth, the heavenly cities, are beehives of activity. One can't visualize the amount of effort put forth to guide us by the spirit world. We are similar to preschool children who constantly need to be watched or they would do something self-destructive. The types of work found in the higher planes are beyond our imagination. One aspect is certain. Everyone will find a passion for something. A career where the work is the reward, where every day is another challenge to be met and a joy to partake. One in which your intellect is stimulated and your desires are rewarded. You may ask, this isn't the case here on earth. I have to work in a 9 to 5 job, which I force myself to wake up every morning to go fulfill my duty. And there are two responses to this state of affairs. First, through your choices, you selected the type of career you are now in. Quite logically, you probably ensured that your choice was able to provide you with a decent living. A decent living means bringing the minimum level in which you lift, wish to live your life. There may have been other choices that were your passion, but you knew choices would have to be made in order to live within the means if you embarked on the other path. Again, the decision to sacrifice your passion for better material living was yours and quite rational. As you ascend in the spirit hierarchy, the material restraints are loosened and the lure of your living, your calling, is stronger. You will be more than comfortable with sacrificing monetary gain for intellectual stimulation. We see this attitude all the time. Teachers who work with children, knowing they'll never drive a new car. Social workers helping others, giving up living in the neighborhood they were raised in order that others may have a path for successful life. Artists and writers living in dire poverty so they could pursue their dreams. And so the second question, the second response to the question of why you're locked in an unfulfilling career is to, that to take heart. You are learning the routine of contributing every day. You may not like it, but you're learning that routine of your working every day in and out. And you really are one of those brave soldiers. You are training for the afterlife, for participating in constructive activity on a regular basis is expected and the only method of achievement. The added bonus is that now you'll be able to follow your passion and decide your mode of study. Plus, the greater breadth of experience, the wider choices of tasks. So what are the temptations of the middle class? So as in any life in, on, here on earth, temptations are as numerous as a number, number of people around us. There are always so-called friends ready to deliver us into all sorts of trouble, whether it could be excessive drinking, drugs, questionable adventures, vicious gossip, or other actions that are not conductive to our well-being. All that needs to be said is to follow your conscience, that device which has untold numbers of centuries of experience under its belt. Listen for the voice that says you have gone too far or stop immediately, then heed it and make a course correction, for this is the type of self-destructive behavior that usually precedes a fall from a middle or higher class existence, where the effect of a self-destructive habit slowly breaks down your innate, innate moral character and shuts off the pathway for you to correctively heed the warnings of your soul. We've seen it so many times where alcoholism or drug use. A person loses their job, they lose their family, uh, it's all quite... It's sad, right, that people fall into that. 
So where does our weakness originate when we allow ourselves to fall behind our, in our lusts? Right? There are numerous causes. But boredom is the great virus of destruction for many of us. When bored, we seek sim stimulation, any outside influence to carry us out of our current routine. We become bored because we are constantly bombarded by propaganda telling us we should be doing something else, doing anything that entails spending money to purchase a good or a service. Commercials that demonstrate via TV, internet, billboards, hour after hour, that only through the purchase of an item that our life will be improved. And when we lack the means to buy ourselves out of our predicament, our boredom, we take the less expensive way out and alter our minds through artificial methods. The better decision than that would be to meditate upon life and determine why we are at a moment where we have nothing fulfilling to perform. And the best answer is to discover spiritual work for ourselves or others. For in this materialistic culture that we reside in, and we, and the spirits tell us we are at, you know, at the climax, right, of, of a materialistic society. In fact, you know, in the Jivao and they were talking about the materialistic society, but in the early 1900s, they hadn't seen anything yet to what we are now. <laughs> but that ship, as has been said, that ship is rounding the corner. And this new generation of people being born after the year 2000, more and more of these people will become more spiritual, you know, more morally qualified, morally mature, probably is a better word. And we will start looking more towards a spiritual answer for our fulfillment. The world will start understanding that karma is real. And then we'll make better decisions because we know whatever decisions we make in this life will affect our next. So that is hopefully if we can start that future now, it would be great for each one of us. So in conclusion to the trials of middle class, to be able to survive and thrive in a middle class environment is really a blessing, not a curse, because we are actually being trained for the spirit world, right? We're being trained that we have work, we have our own responsibilities. They're not going to tell us what to do. We're not on some factory floor where, we're, where we just, you know, do a rote script, right? We have to make decisions. We have to be self-disciplined. We have to be responsible. We have to be in exercise your intellectual curiosity. We have to provide answers. We have to we have to write reports, right? All the things we'll have to do when we're in the spirit world. And there therefore our immersion into a class of society that encourages honesty and justice combined with hard work and a civic obligation is valuable training to impart habits that will take us forward in good standing when we pass over to the spirit world. So, I want to uh, tell everyone again that if you are interested in reading more and understanding more about reincarnation, I have my book, The Case for Reincarnation. You can get that on Kindle or uh, paperback. And you can go to my site, nwspiritism.com, and see, uh, find it there. It's on the right-hand side. And you can uh, read that book. Read the books by, of course, Alan Kardec and Chico Xavier and others. It will teach you so much. The other thing I would like to say is if you're interested in spiritism and you want to talk to myself or anyone else, is go to the site, 
study uh, spiritismstudy.org. Let me erase that message on the back so you can see this. There. Study spiritismstudy.org. Sorry. And if you go to that site and you scroll down a little bit and it will say, get your appointment, right? So you can come and you can, it has uh, the open schedule for myself or Sergio. I think there's others there. And it's, and call us, right? And what you can do, you'll, what will happen is they'll send me an email saying, okay, this, you will state the time that you prefer. And it, then I will send it, let's say if it's talk to me, I will send an email back saying, do you want to talk through Skype? Our, our WhatsApp, which a lot of people are using WhatsApp now, and Skype's becoming less popular. And then, then we'll set up a time to talk. There's nothing you have to do. There's no money. Uh, you know, we'll just talk about what you want and understand what your concerns are, what your objections are. Do you want to proceed? It's, it's just totally up to you. And I, I've had such many good conversations with people about spiritism. I've learned a lot. I think it's great that people ask me hard questions. Um, and I, I love it. And a lot of times I can't answer. And and as Spiritism tells everyone, you know, don't believe just because I tell you or a book tells you. you everyone has to have their own firm foundation through their own um, discoveries, right? So that's important for you to decide. Do you believe in a universe that has meaning to your, you know, that has meaning and that you have a mission here on earth to improve yourself and help others? And that you are living a, a life, right, to help you achieve that, right, to help to perfect yourself? Or are you on earth because you were just randomly brought together by two parents and that when you, when you die, you'll just go, you know, your body and your whatever, whatever electrical impulses you had in your brain just dissolve into the ether. I mean, I don't believe that anymore. I used to. I've always, I was always believed in God, but I always thought we were far from God and unimportant. But now with the, uh, the occurrences that happened to me, I understand. And that's when I first said that predetermination was real because things were foretold that were completely accurate there. They, they were uh, possible that it was random, you know, someone saying this, but not, but not probable at all. Um, to be so little that you know to be minuscule so therefore i believe in spiritism i believe that we are loved by the spirit world we are guided by the spirit world and honestly it's given me so much comfort it's there there is a reason that good things happen to bad people and bad things happen to good people it's all can be uh explained and and uh by spiritism and it's been it's it's just my stress level is so much less than it ever has been. So I found that. I'm hoping that I and others can um, can demonstrate that to you. So again, if you are interested, please go to spiritismstudy.org and talk to us or get my books, get get this spirits book, read about spiritism, look at Kardec's uh, Facebook page. Was, a lot of other people have, have live... Uh, um, streaming on, on Kardec Radio. Go to Kardec Radio on your Android or uh, Apple phone and you can listen to us 24 hours a day. I also have my YouTube channel. This video will be on my YouTube channel. Again, and I, and I ask you, one is to 
go on my site and subscribe to it. Share the YouTube, share the share this on Facebook to other Facebook sites. If you can, please share that to, to the sites that you uh, use and get your friends to, for them to be exposed to what reincarnation is about. Um, and then on YouTube and in my BitChute channel, please subscribe, hit the like button and the bell where you can, I can tell you when I've had my latest upload night. So again, also like to remind people that on Wednesday nights at the same time I do this on Sundays, I have a live stream from my site, uh, Spiritism and the Spirit and the Spirit World Around Us. And you can find that again, a link to that on my site, nwspiritism.com. Com. So anyway, I want to thank everyone. I want to say God bless and thank you for a wonderful night and thank you for your comments. God bless.